Hopefully you all are doing well. If you have your Bible, please open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. I want more green in 2014. How is that for a New Year's resolution? In case you don't know, green is not referring to you being environmentally friendly, but it's about money. Green is every American's favorite color, no matter your ethnicity, your culture, or race. All of us are green when it comes down to that, and we want more of it in 2014. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what type of the conversation you're going to have when you go home today. It's the new year. The pastor's already talking about money. So what's going on? The reality is that people get funny when you start messing with their money. We all do. We get funny. We get a little funny. And I don't want to be, a bear, to be the bearer of bad news, but, but Jesus is going to mess with our money particularly of those of us who know him by seven faith. He messes with our money for the purpose of making us better stewards of it. That's why he messes with it. And stewardship has nothing to do with our income level, our education, or our jobs. It's all about the work of God's grace in our life, in our hearts. Stewardship is one of the many works of God's grace in the lives of his people. You see, we don't change ourselves into being good stewards. We don't. We don't. We are transformed into good stewards by God's grace. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And that's even true stewardship. And whatever you do for God, he has to work it in you. I heard one pastor say on the radio this week that we should not underestimate the work of God's grace in our life. Don't ever underestimate its power and its work in your life. And for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the grace of stewardship. And what that means for my life as a pastor and what it means for your life as well. So if you have your Bible, open it to 2 Corinthians 8, beginning in verse 1. Here's God's word. I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given to the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part. For, have, for they gave according to their means, and I can testify, even beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, 
and knowledge and earnestness and our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Father, as we come to the preaching of your truth, my prayer is the same as it always is every Sunday, that you would move in spite of me, that you would speak through me, that you will receive glory, not me, that my pride and my need for approval and man's praise would die. I pray that I would decrease so that Christ may increase. And I want you to receive glory through what is preached. And I ask that you forgive me for the ways in which I try to steal your glory, for the ways in which I try to make my name great, for the ways in which I try to make myself look good. You know the sins that are deep inside my soul, but yet you love me the same. And I pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God would move and preach this word to my own soul, for I need it too. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 particularly deal with the grace of stewardship. In these chapters, the Apostle Paul is, is going to encourage the church at Corinth to complete the offering that they began to give to the poor believers in Jerusalem. And in 2 Corinthians verse 8, verses 1 through 7, he challenges them to excel in, the act in stewardship. Excel in stewardship as an act of grace, as an overflow of God's grace that is at work in your life. He does this by giving them an example of how the gift of God's grace has worked in the lives of other believers. This is what we see in verses 1 in chapter 8. I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given to the churches of Macedonia. He begins by making known to the believers at Corinth one of the ways that God's grace has worked in the lives of, of other believers. He wants them to pay close attention to this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this work of God's grace. He does this even before he begins to talk about the offering that they promised to give. He wants them to see how amazing God's grace is and how it has worked in the lives of their brothers and sisters in Macedonia. The grace of God has been given. Don't just read those words too quickly. Pay attention to the wording. First, the grace of God is possessive, which means it's God's grace, not our grace. Sometimes we can treat grace like it's a teddy bear that we snuggle with, that we lay with at night. But, but grace is not self-existing. It's not a person. It's not an entity. There is grace because God is gracious. If he wasn't gracious, guess what? There would be no grace. There would be no grace if he was not gracious. You get no grace apart from him. Second, God's grace has been given to the churches of Macedonia. That, those words are passive. Why is that important? It's important because it shows us that these believers did not bestow grace unto themselves. It, they, they did not do it. It was given to them. And the grace here is not talking about grace that, that leads you to salvation. This is the grace that still comes to us after we become a believer. This is what he's saying. This is the grace that is still given to them. After they became Christians, God is still giving them grace. When you come to saving faith, 
did you bestow grace on yourself? Did you just wake up one day and say, well, today I'm going to give grace to myself so I can become a believer? Is that how it worked? Why would it be different now? Is it any different now? We are, and we will always be, passive recipients of God's grace given to us. It's given to us as a gift, not as an entitlement. If you think you can work grace in yourself, if you think we can embrace God's grace and live in God's grace in our own power, then we become grace Pharisees, a Christless, spiritless grace that I can attain in my own will. We receive grace. The Spirit gives it to us. We don't embrace it ourselves. If he's not working in our heart, guess what? You're not going to live in grace. You're not going to embrace it. This week, I attended a church plan and vision conference in Arizona. And on the flight there, I met this guy from Nashville named Barbara Jack. Uh, he overheard me talking about the church, and he wanted to pass along a book to me that he said has, has helped him grow closer to the heart of Christ. And so I started reading through the book, and, and I started highlighting things. And, and this is one of the things I highlighted from this book. That This author says, The mark of a life governed by the Spirit is that such a life is continually and ever more and more occupied with Christ. More and more occupied with Christ. That Christ is becoming greater and greater as time goes on. The effect that the Spirit is working in us is to bring us to the shore of a mighty ocean which we reach far and far beyond our range and concerning which we feel Oh, the depth and the fullness of Christ. If we live as long as every man lived, we should, sit, we should only be a fringe of the vast fullness that Christ is. We should never attain the fullness of who he is. But the Spirit of God works this in us. The same way you receive grace to enter the faith, the same way you receive it to grow in it, is by God's Spirit. By God's Spirit. Not by reading books, not by attaining certain knowledge. It's a supernatural work of God's spirit. Because if he doesn't move, you're not going to attain it. You're not going to live in it. And so does that mean it means we need to pray to the spirit. You hear moving our hearts. That he'll move in our lives. And when he does, he works grace in us. Just like he did in these churches in Macedonia. Don't think these believers did this to themselves. Something supernatural was taking place in them. The grace given to them was also beginning to work in them. Verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflow into a wealth of generosity on their parts. The churches of Macedonia included churches of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And according to one commentator, Macedonia was at one time a rich area. But when Rome came in, it took control of the area. It took control of the gold. It took control of the silver. And that left the country in great poverty. And the churches at Macedonia are in the midst of hardships. And Paul is going to show these Corinthians and show us how God's grace worked in these churches in the midst of the suffering. They're in a severe test of affliction says Paul. And the Greek term for test can also means proof, a character. This term lets us know that the character of our brothers and sisters 
are being tested and proven in the fire of affliction. Skip Ryan, he was a, uh, used to be pastor at uh, Park City Presbyterian Church in Dallas. He says, adversity introduces us to ourselves. Adversity introduces us to ourselves. And he's right. It introduces us to our true God. It introduces us to our fears, to our insecurities. What is your adversity introducing you to yourself about? What is it showing you about yourself? Is it showing you your pride, your fears, your idols? What is it? The good news is that God's grace works in us in the midst of our adversity. Just like it did in the lives of these believers. The grace that God given to them, it brings to the surface two realities of these Macedonians. It brings to the surface two realities of their life. First, their abundance of joy. And second, their extreme poverty. These two realities represent their spiritual reality and their physical reality. And the grace given to them bring these two realities to the same table so they can have a coming to Jesus meeting. So they can come have a coming to Jesus meeting. Their abundance of joy, that's their spiritual reality. Notice the implication Paul is making here. That these Macedonians had an abundance of joy while in the midst of severe affliction. How can that be? They had an abundance. He didn't say they just had joy. They had an abundance of joy in the midst of their affliction. Let this not rest in your mind. Let this penetrate your heart. They have a very great wealth of joy. And joy here is not talking about happy-go-lucky and pretending like you're not fazed by hardships. This is really that joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. The joy of the Lord is their strength. As the psalmist says in Psalm 16, Preserve me, O Lord, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. You see, their spirituality is that they have hope and confidence in Jesus. His love, his comfort, his faithfulness to them, even as they suffer. The affliction has not despaired them of that reality. This is what Grace works in you. You can't work that in yourself. I'm telling you, when you're suffering, if the Spirit ain't moving, you can't have that reality. You can't claim that to that reality. If the Spirit of God is not coming to you in the midst of it. God's grace makes our spiritual realities real to us. Is your spiritual reality real? Do you have this abundance of joy or are you just living to be happy? Do you have this abundance of joy, this confidence in the hope and love and faithfulness of Jesus? These are not just things that we know intellectually, but we have to embrace them in our heart. An old Negro spiritual says, Jesus had been with us, Jesus is with us, and Jesus will be with us to the end. That's joy. In the Lord. He had been with us in the past. He is with us in the present. And he will be with us in the future. That is joy in the Lord. Knowing those three realities. Knowing those three things. This is their abundance of joy. 
and it's your abundance of joy as well. So in 2014, we shall all long to cling more and more to the only one who makes us clean. And that's Jesus. If you want a resolution, that should be your resolution. I'm going to cling more to him, more than I did last year, to get me through this new year. That's Jesus. He helps you rise above your sorrows, and he keeps you humble when you think you're better than everybody else. That's what Jesus does. Do you believe it? Their abundance of joy, that's their spiritual reality, and their spiritual reality has its seat at the table. Now, what about the physical reality? The text says they are in extreme poverty. That is what they're going through. That is their physical reality. And it, too, comes and have a seat at the table with their spiritual reality. The Greek term that has been translated poverty, it communicates the true depth of their poverty. The term literally means rock bottom. Down to the depth. These believers were in the lowest state of poverty. Rock bottom. Paycheck to paycheck living, just trying to make it, just trying to survive. They are at the end of themselves. And yet, these Macedonians knew that their help comes from the Lord. Again, I don't understand it. I don't see how they can, how they can have this perspective. I'm just being honest with you. I don't, it's super, it has to be supernatural. Because if I'm in rock bottom poverty, abundance of joy is the last thing from my mind. But for these believers, they had it, even in the midst of it. It shows us just how great God's grace is and how amazing it is and what it can do in us, in spite of us. The focus here is on the workings of God's grace. Grace working in them helps them to embrace the spiritual reality and not lose hope when they face their physical reality. Instead, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflows into a wealth of generosity. Think about that. I mean, their joy, their poverty, together, somehow overflow into generosity, into a wealth of generosity. Wow. Are you amazed by that? I know I am. I'm still amazed by that. That their spiritual reality and their physical reality, they had this coming to meeting with Jesus and it overflowed to a wealth of generosity. And I'm like, how is this possible? How could a group of people who at rock bottom poverty have a wealth of generosity? It doesn't make any sense. The only conclusion I can draw that this overflow is the work of God's amazing grace in their life by the Spirit. By the Spirit. That's the only explanation I can give you. <laughs> it's supernatural. For it goes against everything I know, everything I was taught. It goes against our culture. They did not lose heart. They still had confidence in the Lord's provisions in their life. And, the, and grace working in them did not let them become victims of their circumstances. Instead, grace sustained them through it. They did not let their, they didn't use their rock bottom poverty as an excuse or a crutch. Why? Because Jesus was meeting them in the midst of it. They found Jesus in the midst of the poverty. So my question is, 
What about you this morning? What is your current physical reality? Are you at rock bottom? Financially or relationally, wherever. Are you just trying to make it? Are you living paycheck to paycheck? Are you living out of fear or of losing your God of money? Are you hoarding money? For some of us, rock bottom can mean we're overextended, living far above our means. Whatever your physical or financial reality is this morning, it has to take a seat at the table with your spiritual reality. Because your spiritual reality reminds you where your help actually comes from. It reminds you where your help actually comes from. And it's not at Wall Street. And it's not at Bank of America. It's Jesus. It's not the job you go to every day, though we need to be good stewards on our job. It reminds us of the hand that actually provides for us. Because everything we have, if God removed his hand, it goes away. Everything that we have, he can take away. Everything we have, he's given to us. Because he's providing for us. The only way any of us, myself included, will have generous hearts that embrace his stewardship is through the work of God's grace that is bestowed upon us. That's the only way. I can be mean and give you nasty letters and come in and beat you up about the stewardship. But I love you more too much to do that. I know God's grace has to lead us to this place as he does in my heart. But when grace is working in your heart, it will eventually overflow into acts of grace. And stewardship is just one act of grace. It's not the only act of grace. There's love, there's service, but what we're focusing on here is the act of grace that overflows to stewardship. Look at verses 3 through 5. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Stewardship is an act of grace that flowed from the Macedonians. It flowed for them in two ways. First, they gave according to their means. What does that mean? It means they gave proportionally to their earnings and their income. And second, they gave beyond their means. They gave sacrificially as well. And their giving was out of their own accord, their own free will. Paul didn't go to them making a request. He didn't go to them giving threats. He didn't make an appeal to them or sow a financial seed so they can get something in return. It overflowed as a work of grace in their life. In fact, they were begging Paul to give. <laughs> he said they were begging earnestly. This communicates that they had a heartfelt desire to give. They were not just making high, flattery, spiritual statements, but their hearts were truly sincere. They wanted to give. They were begging for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The churches of Macedonia, they, they consider taking part in this relief as a gift, as a blessing. How do you see giving and stewardship? Do you see it as a gift, as a blessing, or paying God off? How do you see it? Man, as I was preparing this sermon, I always thought of grace as, you know, as a sign of me being thankful for God. But when I'm seeing it, I saw in this text, they saw it as favor. A sign of favor to participate in the relief of the saints. 
It was favor for me to give. They didn't want to miss out on it. They didn't want to be left out. So they begged earnestly to give. The term that's been translated taking part can also mean fellowship. They wanted the favor of fellowshipping with all the other churches that were given to relieve the, to relieve the poor saints in Jerusalem. They wanted to fellowship with them in the giving. Are you amazed still? Are you convicted still? Because this is happening of a group of people who was also in need. Think about that. They were also in poverty. They were also poor. They were also rock bottom. And yet their hearts was on their brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem. How can we help them? How can we serve them? What can we give to relieve their poverty? Think about that. You think that just happens naturally? That I can get outside my own poverty and, and have a heart for others that are poor without something supernaturally happening to me? That's what was happening to them. And they were begging to give. And, and, and what was Paul's response? This was not as we expected. <laughs> the Apostle Paul was amazed. He was surprised by how God's grace has worked in these churches. Because he says, this is not as we expected. We did not expect them to give to this. Why do you don't think he expected them to give? Because they too were in poverty. Don't underestimate the works of God's grace in people's life. We have a tendency to do that. Grace can accomplish, can accomplish great things, but we want to put it on our timetable. We want it to work this way. We want it to work that way. Grace can change the stranger's heart, and grace can work wonders in the midst of poverty as well. Supernaturally. And we're Americans. We don't always think that way. But the kingdom is countercultural. It's countercultural kind of to our culture. And this is what verse 1 is setting up for the Corinthians for us to see. Pay attention, brothers and sisters. I want you to know and see how God's grace has worked in these Macedonians. It's amazing. It exceeded my expectations. And Paul, his only explanation is this. They gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of the Lord to us. That was his only explanation. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Because if they didn't, they would not have done that. And giving themselves first to the Lord simply means they, were, they grew closer to him by faith. And did not grow closer to him by circumstances. Because sometimes we think when circumstances are good, then I have the Lord's favor. Then when they're not good, I don't have the Lord's favor. You don't, have, you don't grow closer to Jesus through circumstances. It's by faith alone. Faith alone. Circumstances are a lie. They can deceive you. It's faith alone. The heart for stewardship is not determined by the size of your bank account or the type of job you have. It grows in your heart when your spiritual reality in Christ shapes and gives perspective to your physical reality in this world. Think about that. Your spiritual reality has to shape your view of the physical reality. Because if it doesn't, you're not going to live out your faith. 
the way God calls us to. This is this not in stewardship. This is an area, area of your life. Who you are in Christ has to shape the way you see this life. And if, you, if it's not taking place, what do you do? Get on your knees and say, Jesus, help my unbelief. Make me what I can't do in me, what I cannot do in myself. And guess what? He'll come. He'll come. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for your spirit who has to work grace in our hearts so that we can do acts of grace in this life. In my prayer for myself, for everyone that's here, officers, leaders, members, that your spirit would do just that. That he would work at grace in us so that we can embrace it. That he would be the one that works stewardship in us. That he would be the one who worked all these different things in us, Lord, so that we can have acts of grace in our life. And so meet us where we are. Lead us to repentance, Lord. Lead us to, to the throne of grace so that we may receive help in our time of need. You know our hearts. You know where we are today. And so I pray that your spirit will meet us where we are and that our spiritual reality will shape the way we view our physical reality. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.